0: Here we go. You're listening to law and gospel on this last day of January. It's the 31st year of our Lord 2022. I'm Pastor Tom Baker and as is our custom on Mondays, we take a look at a reading for the following Sunday. It's the fifth Sunday after the epiphany. So we're going to be taking a look at Isaiah, Chapter 6. There's also 1 Corinthians 14 and Luke chapter 5. But the reason I want to do Isaiah chapter 6 this program talks about the distinctions between law and gospel. And when people hear the word gospel, they often think, well, that's referring to the New Testament. The law is the Old Testament. The gospel is the New Testament. That is an incorrection. That is not correct at all. There is law in the New Testament. Simply listen listen to the Sermon on the Mount. And there certainly is gospel in the Old Testament. In fact, the first promise of the gospel is found in Genesis chapter 3, where Eve and Adam hear that through the seed of Eve will come a Savior. They so believed it that in chapter 4, Eve thinks that Cain, the birth of Cain, is the birth of the Savior. Well, she's wrong. It's the birth of the first murderer. But at any rate, through her, down through the Old Testament books, we find individuals leading to the birth of Jesus Christ so it is wrong to say that the old testament is law and the new testament is gospel in the sense of talking about the books because in the books of the old testament definitely is lots of gospel and we're going to take a look at one of them today Isaiah 6 verses 1 to 8 Now, Isaiah has a vision, and it's in the year that King Uzziah died. Isaiah sees the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. So this is God. In fact, the symbol is pretty close to what's found in Daniel, where we talk about the ancient of days. At any rate, God is sitting on the throne, and above him stood the seraphim. Now, who are the seraphim? We do know they are angels, but we don't know the difference between the seraphim and the cherubim cherubim better way of saying it and the archangels. What's the difference? The Bible doesn't explain that. But these ones had six wings. Now, why would they have six wings? Remember, this is a vision. Two, he covered his face. It's very clear that they were not to be able to see God face to face. And that's why they had two covering their face. On the day of judgment, it's going to be like human beings. We cannot see God face to face. About the closest we came to that was Moses on Mount Sinai, where he saw the backside of God, it says. And of course, you have Jesus and the transfiguration. He was very brilliant, but not as brilliant as he's going to be in heaven, where there's probably no need of the sun. Even though the sun may be in existence when we get to heaven, we won't really need it because of the brightness of Jesus Christ. And we will be able to see God face to face. That means we're going to have a different body than we have today. Because the bodies we have today being sinful cannot see God face to face. So two wings covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. The seraphim. Why are they covering their feet? Because they are not permitted to go except where God commands them to go. And therefore... They covered their feet in order that they would be wherever God wants them to be. But what if he wants them to go somewhere? Well, then they have two with which they flew. And Gabriel was not with wings when he visited Mary to tell her about the birth of Jesus Christ. At least it's not mentioned that he had wings. She thought it was just another human being. At any rate, they call to one another. These are the seraphim. And what are they saying? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now, why three holies? Well, there's the Father. There's the Son, and there's the Holy Spirit. And He's Lord of hosts. And that word refers to those who are among the angels. Jesus talks about in the Garden of Gethsemane that Peter should put away his sword because if he so wanted, he could call down a host of angels and defeat those who were trying to arrest him. But he does not, because he knows what the will of the Father is. And so he obeys the Father, is taken to trial, to the cross, and rises from the dead three days later. So in this vision that Isaiah is seeing, he sees these seraphim, he hears them calling one to another, And verse 4 of Isaiah 6 the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. Now, why smoke? That is a sign of God's presence. When the sanctuary was built, God often filled it with smoke. And we talk about the prayers of the saints as smoke being drifting up to God. In fact, a lot of times in the church service, incense will represent that smoke as it is burned during a worship service. We would do that primarily on Good Friday with smoke. We would have all the candles lit. And this was during the tenebrae service, which means the service during darkness. It was usually in the evening. And what we would do during the service is candles would be put out in a certain order uh, after the introduction of the liturgy, after the readings, after the sermon, perhaps after the Lord's Supper, etc. Uh, I had a couple and they used to sit near the front of the church in one of the front pews, and they were unable to come to the Good Friday service because the smoke really bothered them. And so we, we still continued it because they had other services that weekend to go to, but it was a smoke to represent the prayers of the saints. So, Isaiah sees this, and what you would expect if he sees in a vision the Lord sitting upon a throne, would he not join with the angels, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, and give praise to him? No. Listen to verse 5 and Isaiah's particular attitude woe is me for I am lost what why is Isaiah saying that well here's a great example of a difference of those who live under the law living under the law means that because of your sin you are not saved you are lost you, you can't believe how many Christians have that temptation. The devil loves to tempt Christians. You're not good enough to go to heaven. And your answer to that should be, you're right. I am not good enough to go to heaven. So why do the Christians, why do we praise the Lord if we're not good enough to go to heaven? Well, Isaiah explains why he thinks he is lost. Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Now, in this case, the word Lord is capitalized each letter is capitalized in the same way that it is when the angels say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. In the first verse, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. That word Lord is not capitalized. In fact, This was something that the Jews practiced, that when they saw the word Lord, which was really for the word Yahweh, the name that God gave to Moses on Mount Sinai, they did not want to say that word at all, and they would change the word. They would change it to a different word for Lord every time they saw it. And that's how we, by the way, uh, got the word Jehovah. They changed the vowels to the word. So instead of saying Yahweh, it was Jehovah. God was never called Jehovah. But we use it today because that was a transliteration of the new vowels put over the word Yahweh. Because many of the Jews felt that you could not sin against misusing God's name if you never used it. So they wouldn't use it. Every time they saw it, they would change it to Adonai, which is the word for Lord. So at any rate, the first Lord is different than the second word for Lord. And you always know that this is the word for Yahweh, when each of the letters, they're capitalized. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Isaiah, he knows he's a sinner. He knows he's living in the midst of sinners. That's what everybody should realize. Remember, James talks about that the worst element of a human body is the tongue. And that's because you have both active and non-active sins by the tongue. What do we mean by that? Active is when you use the tongue to say things that are untrue. For example, maybe you're saying something bad about your neighbor because you envy him. And then When you don't say what is true, that's a sin of omission. So the tongue can be used as a sin of commission, or it can be used as a sin of omission. People who refuse to come to church, they're sinning by omission. They're not coming to church to refer to God as holy, 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 praising Him that the whole earth is full of his glory. So this is what really worries Isaiah. So when we ask the question, is Isaiah speaking that way because he's living under the law or he's living under the gospel? What's the difference? To live under the law, and that phrase is used in the Bible, means that you live with a perception that you go to heaven by obedience to the law. And when you have that perception, then you will really doubt whether you will be saved because you realize you are a man of unclean lips or a woman of unclean lips. And you're dwelling in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Well, Fortunately, the chapter doesn't end there. In verse 6 of chapter 61, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. Now, here's where Scripture interprets Scripture. The altar, of course was often the place of sacrifice. Many of the sacrifices of the Old Testament, when they were sacrificing bulls or sheep, were burned at the altar. Remember, when Abraham went up on the mountain, he was going to kill Isaac. And the first process in putting Isaac to death would be to put him on an altar and then put a knife through him and then burn him. And as Abraham lifted the knife, God stopped him. Now you wonder why would Abraham want to kill his son? Well, he didn't want to kill his son, but he had a command from God. And when you get a command from God, You follow the command. And you would say, well, wait a minute, Abraham, uh, didn't Abraham realize that it was through Isaac that the nations would be blessed? That was a promise from God. So why did he not want the nations blessed? Well, he still thought the nations were going to be blessed. We know that from the context of when he went up on the mountain, he had. Brought two servants with him and Isaac, and he told the servants to stay back, and he said to them that he and his son would return to them. Now, wait a minute. If he's going to sacrifice Isaac on the altar and burn his body, how did he think that he would be able to return to the servants with Isaac? The answer is found. In the book of Hebrews, where it talks about the faith, Abraham knew something about Isaac that he had been born from what was normally considered at that time a dead womb. That was Sarah. She was so old, she was past childbearing. And yet, Isaac was still born as though from a dead womb, and Hebrews tells us that Abraham believed that even were he to kill Isaac, that God would raise him from the dead, and he would come back to the servants with Isaac. Talk about faith in the promises of God. Faith, first of all, to obey the commandment, to put his beloved son to death. And faith to believe that he would still return with Isaac because Isaac would be raised from the dead. At any rate, one of the seraphim flew to Isaiah and he had in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. Now, that's interesting. It was so hot, he had to use tongs. It's kind of like when you're cooking a meal and you have utensils to, let's say, you're heating up beef or something. Well, you just don't put your hand in the hot pan and take out the beef. You use a spoon or a spatula, and that's what the angel did. But once he had removed the burning coal, he was able to put it in his hand in this vision. And he touched my mouth, said Isaiah, and said, now here's what the seraphim said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Now, let me just simply ask you, is that a message of law? or is it a message of gospel? Notice, he doesn't say to Isaiah, now that you have touched this coal. No, he says, no, this has touched your lips. And it's done by a messenger from God, namely a seraphim. Well, what does this remind you of? Somebody else who was on an altar, an altar of the cross, where he sacrificed his life for you. And then, remember, he came down from the cross. He rose from the dead. He went to the disciples, showed them himself. And what were the first words he said? Peace be with you. What was that talking about? Well, prior to the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, there was not peace between God the Father and human beings because we are people of unclean lips, living in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And so we deserved God's wrath of eternal punishment. But once we had received Jesus Christ through faith, Guess what? We were now cleansed from our sin. What does this remind you of? What touches your lips in a worship service? The very body and blood of Jesus Christ in the Lord's Supper. Take, eat. This is my body as you're handed a piece of bread. Take, drink. This is my blood, as you're handed a sip of wine. Don't, don't tell me that God cannot put his body and blood in, with, and under the bread and the wine. God can do anything. And if he says it's there, it's there. Remember, God used water and turned it into blood that was Moses' first miracle at the river Nile. And then Jesus' first miracle was taking water and changing it into wine, not in 12 months or two years or three years, but in five seconds. And all of a sudden, gallons and gallons of water had become wine. So, In a similar way, God takes bread, which remains as bread, but in, with, and under the bread is the body of Christ. The wine remains wine, but in, with, and under it is the blood of Christ. That's how Jesus touches your mouth. And as you receive that, you receive the promise about your guilt taken away and your sin atoned for. Take and eat, take and drink for the forgiveness of your sins. Now, that still doesn't end what Isaiah has to say. In verse 8, Isaiah hears the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Now, that's a plural, us. He's not referring to himself and the angels. He's referring to the Holy Trinity. Now, if that question had been asked Isaiah before the vision, Isaiah never would have said, well, send me, because he knew that because of his unclean lips, that therefore he was, therefore, lost. He was unclean. And so he never would have said, send me, send me. But because he has now been touched by the coal from the altar, representing the sacrifice of Jesus, then he says, when he's asked, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And he says, Here am I, send me. What a difference between the law and the gospel. When you're living under the law, you do not believe that you're worthy enough to be in the presence of God. And you certainly don't think you're worthy enough to become like one of his angels in spreading the word of Jesus Christ. But when you understand, the gospel, that you have been touched by Jesus, that your sins have been forgiven, that God has declared you righteous in his sight, even while you remain a sinner under the law, then you also can exclaim, Here am I. Send me. Send me. I'm Tom Baker on Tomorrow's Long Gospel with Mark Smith. We'll take a look at a hymn, and the title of that hymn is Hail to the Lord's Anointed. So you can look it up in your hymnal to follow us along as we see once more the importance of epiphany. Till then, God bless you.